And I take a cue from the song that we had from the worship team that there's beauty in brokenness. There's beauty in brokenness. And that sounds like a paradox. How could you find beauty when we are broken? And it is true of the Christian life. Our Christian journey is filled with paradoxes. James said we find joy in tribulation. Joy in tribulation. We find beauty in our ashes. These are all oxymorons, you know, paradoxes. We find life in death. If we don't experience death, how can you resurrect? And some of us want to resurrect without experiencing life, death. So this morning, I want to talk about after brokenness, what? After brokenness, what? And we spent about a month on having receiving these insightful studies as far as brokenness is concerned. And just to remind us of what Pastor has been teaching us, he said that brokenness is God's dealing, God's way of dealing with our self-life. And the self-life is that part of us that desires to act independently of God. You know, we want to act independently, independently of God. We want to do it our own ways. And you know, we sing that, those, that song by Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. Now what God does is he targets those areas. He targets them. Those areas that are hindering God's will to be fulfilled in our lives for God's purpose to be fulfilled in our lives, then having targeted them, this is something that God himself initiates. Not only does he initiate, but he sustains it until that purpose is fulfilled. So when he targets those areas, he arranges the circumstances and the situations that we, he will use in breaking us. He will choose the tools that he will use. And there are so many tools. The tool for you could be your spouse. Could be your children. Could be your boss in the office. Could be your friends. He is the one who will choose the tools. Not only does he choose the tools, but he also controls the pressure. Because God will not break your spirit when it gets to the point where your spirit is broken, that pressure is released. It's going to target every facet of our lives that are still not yet been brought into subjection unto his will. Now, part of the reason why brokenness is so painful sometimes, you know, and as the worship team sang this morning, he said, in our pain, we receive joy. Again, <laughs> that is a paradox. How could you express joy while you are in pain? So the reason why 
brokenness will cause pain as we suffer is that God begins to deal with us in the level that is deep emotionally, spiritually. You know what? He's after what most of us do not want to give up. God is ultimately after the control of our lives whether we like it or not. He is after the control of our lives because he is God and we are not. And you know, the last thing that we want to surrender is the control of our lives. I don't want to let go of that control. Put in another way, brokenness is God's way of bringing us to the end of ourselves. Let me give example of being brought to the end of ourselves. When we are brought to the end of ourselves, the end of our self-lives, for instance, if I have been using deception, lying, that's what I mean, getting angry and yelling at people, feeling sorry for myself, that is, I go into a pity party, I am impatient, I am highly opinionated, I have to have a word in every situation. I could use a good sense of humor and make people laugh. I am being arrogant, prideful, I talk down on people, I brag about myself, I brag about myself to lift up myself and put others down. I am very good at criticizing others. I procrastinate. I wait till the last minute before I get things done. I am passive. I don't want to make any decisions because if I do, I might fail and I don't like failing. I am self-indulgent. These are all the negatives. If that has been my way of getting my way in life. Or on the other hand, if I've been using my strength, I use my intellect, I use my beauty or I use my handsomeness, I use all the good resources that God has given to me to get my way, to feel good about myself. A time will come when those strategies will fail. It comes to a time where all of your deceptions will fail. Those tricks on which I have a box of them, I will reach out to them when the situation calls and I will get my way through. Those tricks, one day, they will no longer work for me. I have come to the end of myself. I am broken. And now I am ready for the next step. And I call that step surrender. If you are only broken and you hang on brokenness and you don't surrender, 
then my brokenness is useless. It's of no value. Therefore, what comes after brokenness? When I've come to the end of myself, when my bag of tricks no longer work, when my feeling sorry for myself no longer work, when my intellect, my handsomeness, my strength, none of those things work anymore. God says, I need to surrender. I need to give up. There is always a danger if we refuse to be broken. If we refuse to be broken, what is the danger? Can you give me Proverbs chapter 20, chapter 29, Proverbs 29 and verse 1. Proverbs 29 verse 1. You have it? Proverbs 29, verse 1. 29, verse number 1. You there? Yeah. It says, He who, being often reproved, he hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. He who often or being often reproved but hardens his or her neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Let me read it from, can you give it to me in the message Bible? In the message, message translation. for people who hate discipline for a man or a woman who hates discipline and only gets more stubborn since there will come a day when life tumbles in and they break but by then it will be too late to help them that is a serious caution as a serious danger I mean that is a serious uh, warning to me and to you as children of God and it is my earnest prayer this morning that none of us sitting here will get to that point and that each and every one of us will be willing to be broken and then to yield to God's work in our lives the psalmist David in Psalm 51 Psalm 51 verse verse 7 and this is the beauty of brokenness that the choir sang earlier on. Psalm 51, Psalms 51, verse, verse 17. 51, 17. Give it to me in um, NK, the New um, American Standard Bible or New King James. Fifty-one seventeen, Okay, the message, he says, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. <laughs> when my pride was shattered. That was when I learned 
God worship. It's a hard shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. He says, a broken and a contrite spirit, God will not despise. He will not despise. And so, in your brokenness, in your time of difficulties, and I know that many of us sitting down here this morning, you might be going through things. You might be going through things, difficult times. And you know what? This, that could explain why you are going through that. Because God wants to bring you to the end of yourself. And it is not to destroy you. It's to bring you to that place of intimacy with him. You know, we said Christ in us is a hope of glory. And that we want Christ to manifest himself in and through us. You cannot get to that place where Christ will begin to manifest his life in and through you if you are not yielded through brokenness and surrender. Now my focus this morning will be on surrender. I want to make you and I understand what surrender actually means. I would like to give us God's purpose in surrender because God does not do anything without a purpose. There is always a purpose in everything that he does. And then I want to show us how God accomplishes surrender using Christ Jesus as our example. So what is total surrender? And I'm going to use Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That is a scriptural basis for surrender. Can you give me Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12. I say, I beseech you, therefore, this is not by force. He said, I beseech you, I beg you, I appeal. And this is serious. When God begins to appeal to us, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now the key phrase I have here is living sacrifice. Again, that is a paradox. You are living and yet you are a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The last time I checked the word sacrifice is when something is killed. You are living and yet you are a sacrifice. Now this passage, like I said, is the, is the scriptural basis for surrender. And Paul, in this passage, in that verse, was painting a picture of the Old Testament sacrificial system where a man, a person brings this animal for sin offering. He goes before the priest. And before the priest, the man lays his hands on the head of the animal, which symbolizes that I am transferring to God my right to this animal. 
my interest in this animal, my ownership of this animal. Everything that pertains to the rights that I have over this animal, I am transferring it to God. And then the priest would take the animal, take a knife, and slay the animal. It is not the man that slays the animal. He doesn't bring a dead animal. He brings a live animal. So by laying his hand on that animal before it is slain, he's saying, all of my rights, my privileges, my ownership, my interest in this animal, I transfer it to God. And that's a picture of surrender. So, what may I say is the definition, my definition for surrender. And I say total surrender. I could define it as a complete abandonment of all of my rights, rights to myself and everything that I have to God for the purpose of taking possession of my revealed death as a living sacrifice. I say that again. The complete abandonment of all my rights to myself and everything that I have to God for the purpose of taking possession of my revealed death as a living sacrifice. And let me break this down for us. I would say that total surrender involves three things. The first thing is that I am willing for God's will to be done in my life. I am willing for God's will to be done in my life. Secondly, I am giving God the permission to do whatever he wants with me. And thirdly, I am relinquishing or surrendering all of my rights. And you know we have rights. In fact, we have so much rights that we have civil rights. And people are fighting for rights. And we have them. God says, in surrendering, I am relinquishing all of those rights to God. You know, there is a difference between I am resigning and also I am relinquishing. You see, you, you, you resign to God's power. You are forced to do it because you don't have any option. But when you relinquish, you do it voluntarily. It is a free will thing. You are not forced to. When you are forced, when you get to that point, when he says, you know, you are rebuked and then you refuse, you'll be broken beyond repairs. That's a resignation. God does not want us to resign to his power, but he wants us to relinquish those rights to him voluntarily. Another name for total surrender, if I may say, is total commitment. Or it is my personal Gethsemane. You know the Gethsemane? The Gethsemane experience? Jesus faced that. In um, Matthew chapter 26 from verse 36, and I will read it 
He said, then Jesus went with them to the garden called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. And then taking along Peter and the, and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. No wonder they called him a man of sorrow. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. This is Christ. He says, going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying, my father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? And then when he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. He said to Peter, can't you stick out with me a single hour? Stay alert. Be in prayers so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you are in danger. There is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there is another part that is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. Wow. He then left them a second time. Again, he prayed, My father, if there is no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I am ready. Do it your way. And when he came back, he found them sleeping sound asleep. He found them sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open. And this time, he let them sleep on and went back a third time to pray going over the same ground one last time. And when he came back, the next time he said, are you going to sleep on and make a night of it? My time is up. The son of man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is here. And this is from the message Bible. Jesus struggled he did. He struggled with the, in his flesh. He struggled with the anticipation of the death that he was about to face, the cross. He struggled with it. If it is possible to take this away from me, if it is possible, but he said, your will be done, not mine. He prayed three times, three times. While I was sleeping, the message Bible said, there is that part of me, there is that part of me that doesn't want to hang on. Like Jesus, each of us will go through our own our personal Gethsemane experience. where we are brought to a place of absolute surrender. Surrendering of all our rights and privileges to God. And that means dying to our own desires so as to allow God's desires to be made manifest through us. Now, let me give us a practical example of surrender. 
And I use this example with a lot of respect. And I don't mean to belittle what I'm about to say. <clears throat> Imagine somebody um, lying, dying with a terminal disease, say cancer. As long as this person has hope of survival, is trusting in radiation, is trusting in chemotherapy, is trusting in surgery, is trusting in diet, vitamins, or he's still hanging on to life with every ounce of energy he has, then that person's death will be prolonged. And you and I know that death is the ultimate deliverer in that situation. But when that person, when he relinquishes all hope and then resigns himself to the inevitable, and then relief comes quicker. I identify with this because recently I witnessed a dear friend go through that. When he came to a time when he saw that nothing else would help his pain, the agony he was going through, he relinquished it. He told me, Brother Stephen, all I want is just come and fellowship with me. That's all I want. I don't want any other thing. Just don't bring me any more medicine. Just fellowship with me. He came to that understanding. He passed on in peace. So that brings me to the third aspect of this exhortation. What is God's purpose in our surrender? In Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, can we go to Luke chapter 9 because I want us to see that. Luke chapter 9 Verses 23 and 24. Luke 9, 23 and 24. 23. 2, 3 and 2, 4. 2, 3. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, come to the end of himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Go on, 23. Or 24. For whoever desires to save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In another version it says, if you lose your self-life, if you let go of your self-life, then you will have the true life. The true life. And that is a fulfilled life. You see, Jesus was here giving his disciples the condition for experiencing a true life, and that is eternal life that he came to give. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, and that is a true life. Those two lives, my self-life and Christ's life, they cannot exist together. One has to give way. The Bible says that 
says the flesh, the, the spirit struggles with the flesh. Wanting to know who will be in charge. And then we don't know what to do. He says, walk after the spirit and then you will not, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And so what is the purpose of surrender? It is to bring us to this place where we lose our lives. It's to allow us to come to a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to bring the message of the cross into our lives, to cross our lives. And the cross is, is, is not a place of joy. The cross is a place of death. So we will cross, he crosses our lives, our self-life. He crosses our heart. He takes away the old heart and gives us what? A heart of flesh, a new spirit, a new heart. It's not a refurbished heart. It is a new heart, a new spirit. He kills the old man and then we are recreated into the new man, the new creation that is no longer subject to sin. Now, when we, when you and I embrace by faith our total surrender, followed by our co-crucifixion, because the Bible talks about that we have been crucified with Christ and that it is no longer you and I that live, but Christ lives in us. And Christ cannot manifest himself we are still when we are still holding on to the old life. We have to yield. So when we embrace that and actually experience our co-crucifixion, then and only then can we exchange our old life, our self-life, with the life of Christ. Colossians 3, 4 says that Christ is my life. Christ is our life. Amen? Not my life, but Christ living in and through me. Finally, I want to show us the example that Christ exhibited. And I want to call this Christ's journey to the cross. Can you give me that chart? The chart? I call this Christ's journey, Christ's journey to the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And um, I will read that. Verses 5 to 8. It says, Have this attitude or from the um, New King James, says, let this mind be in you. When I see the word let, I, I don't think that is a suggestion. That is an imperative. That is a command. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Go on. Go on. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider 
it robbery to be equal with God. And that place is that he did not hold on to the fact that he was God. He did not assert it. He did not grab it. He said, this is my right. This is my right. He did not. He called it robbery. To be equal with God. Continue. But he made himself of no reputation. And how did he do that? He took the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Go on. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I was sharing with uh, uh, the members of my um, reality of grace team. I said, if I were Christ and I wanted to let go of my reputation, I wanted to empty myself of my reputation, at least I would have said, okay, I don't want to be born in a manger. Can you allow me to be born in a palace? I don't want to be born in a in a poor family. I mean, Joseph's family was so poor that when they went to the temple for a sin offering, they could only afford total dose. You know, the, you know, the sacrifices were graded. The animals were graded from bulls. You know, for those of us in the other part of the world, when, you know, when somebody dies, you are told to bring a cow. A bulls, goats, female and male, sheep, <laughs> female and male, and then it comes to total doves. So, Joseph's family, and that is the, you know, the human family in which Jesus was born into, was very poor. Yet Jesus was born. I would have said, let me be born in a palace. Let me be a prince. But no, that was not the case. And not only was he a servant, but a born servant. A born servant means if you had if I'd become your slave and there comes a time where you set me free, I say, no, 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 I don't want to go free. Because of how good you are, I'm going to be still your slave. That is what Jesus was. And what they used to do in those days is that when you decide to become a born servant, they would pierce the ears and put a ring on it. A born servant to distinguish the born servant from the ordinary servant. That is, I am free, but I've chosen to be a servant. So let's go to that chart, please. I want us to see the steps that Jesus took to his surrender. The journey to the cross. And which Paul said, let this mind be in us. Have the same attitude. Please. Continue. It says, Christ's journey to the cross. To his death, to his surrender. 
to its losing control because surrender ultimately means losing control. And not many of us want to lose control. We want to be in control. Control my surrounding, control my wife, control my husband, control my children, control everything around us. Nobody wants to be out of control. Surrender is losing control. Losing that control to God. Continue, please. So we are going to look at the rights that Jesus surrendered when he let go, when he emptied himself, when he laid aside all of his rights. The rights that he had, the actual experiences, and then his attitude. Continue. He was God. Was Christ not God? Yes. Second person of the Godhead. But what did he do? He became a man. And not just a man. I will see what kind of man he, he became. And what was his attitude? He humbled himself. I define humility as absolute dependence upon God. Humility is not working sanctimoniously. Humility means absolute dependence upon God. Continue. As God, Jesus had the right to be honored. Didn't he? I mean, if I were God, <laughs> and thank God I'm not. I have, and I'm going to insist, and I'm going to demand, it will be my entitlement that I be honored. But what was Jesus' experience? Can you read it, please? He became what? A born servant. Do you honor a born servant? <laughs> and what was his attitude? He emptied himself of that right. He laid aside that right. Continue. He had the right to be accepted. How many of us want to be accepted in our families? <laughs> I do. How many of you want to be accepted here? You have a sense of belonging. You know, some of the people that I counsel, one of the major things that they have experienced in life is rejection. 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 Even before they are born, they are rejected. In the mother's womb. <laughs> rejection. You know, when we plan to abort that child, rejection. That child is born, he's surrounded with what? Rejection. Rejection means absence of a meaningful love. Jesus was rejected. Bible says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Even within his family. His brothers, his stepbrothers and sisters they did not believe him. Remember a time that they told him, why don't you take what you're doing, go to Jerusalem. Yeah, just go to Jerusalem and do it and let the whole world see. A very sarcastic comment. Go to Jerusalem. What was his attitude? Please read it for me. He entrusted himself unto the Father. He says, you can reject me all you want, but I'm going to entrust myself to my Father. Because before my Father, I am not only accepted, but I am acceptable. 
Can you think that about yourself? How many people have rejected you in life? And you can entrust yourself unto the Father, knowing who you are. So it doesn't matter your rejection. You know, I tell people there are three kinds of people when it comes to rejection. Those that have been rejected, those that are currently being rejected, and those that will be rejected. We are faced with rejection all around us, in our homes. You see, when we keep criticizing people, you see, criticism is a form of rejection. When you correct them, criticize, criticize. They are saying, hey, I don't like you. That's, that is rejection. You can either have overt or covert rejection. And I'm not going to go into that. Covert and overt rejection. Overt is an outright rejection. Jesus entrusted himself unto the Father. Can we go to the next one, please? Jesus had the right to reputation, didn't he? Don't we have that right? But what did he experience? Slandering. He was slandered. Hmm? Even when he was casting out demons, what did they say about him? He says, you are using the power of Belgium. What was his attitude? He knew who he was. He knew who he was. Do you know who you are? It comes back to the question of identity. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Jesus knew who he was. Bible says that when he was washing the feet of the disciples, before he washed the feet of his, he said, he got up and took a towel, gathered his lights. He said, Jesus knew, knowing who he was, knowing that he came from the Father, and that he's going back to the Father, and that he loved them even to the end. He did it. He washed the feet, the dirty feet of the disciples. Can we, can you and I do that? Knowing who you are. Let's go to the next one, please. Jesus had the right to possessions. Didn't he? God. He said, a thousand cows, a thousand cattles on the hills belongs to who? God. He had the right to possession. But what did he do? He stripped himself. You recall the disciple who came to Christ? He said, I'm going to follow you to wherever you want to go. And Christ told him, hey, foxes, they have holes. The birds of the skies, they have what? Nest. The Son of Man has no place. He has no place. He has no place. He denied himself. He said he became what? Poor. So that you and I might become rich. He became poor. Let's go to the next one. Jesus had the right for justice. Was he judged fairly? What did he do? Nothing. He had the right for justice. How many of you have the right for justice and then you've been denied that justice? You are not alone. And that is why Christ is your perfect Savior. Because there is nothing that you go through that he hasn't already gone through. What was his experience? He forgave them. 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Forgive them. <laughs> what was his attitude? He was merciful. Mercy means you are not getting what you deserve. They deserve death. But Jesus gave them life. They deserve revenge. But Jesus gave them forgiveness. Let's go to the next one. The next one, please. Jesus, okay, even on the cross, at least if you want to kill me, be modest in my killing. The cross was a terrible place to die. Because not only are you going through this excruciating pain, but you hang there naked. You see, the Western world, you know, we put, when we draw that picture, we put something around his loins. But Jesus was naked. And by every standard, that is sexual abuse. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever been sexually abused? Jesus faced it. And that is why he's a savior. A total savior. Because there is nothing that you have gone through for which you cannot find comfort in Jesus Christ. The last one was that he had the right to leave. He had the right to live. But what did he get? He was crucified. He was crucified. And what was his attitude? He surrendered. So without surrendering, you and I cannot experience that death that he has already done for us. Because the old man, the, people, the person that I was, you were, has been crucified. Because my time is up, let me just give us a practical example. Just one example. Because he said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I want to talk about our possessions. Because you and I, we have right to possessions, right? I want to have a good car. I want to live in a big house. I want a very fat bank account. But there is this thing. says, everything that I perceive to be my possession will eventually begin to possess me. Sometimes it is so easy to say, my heavenly father, I give you my car. But what if he tells you, do that now? Would you be willing to do that? Everything that we have in this life, we are stewards. God has given me possessions as a trust. I am to take God's trust. I'm a steward. They are not really mine. And you know what? God owes us nothing. He owes us absolutely nothing. He has given us his son. See, there is a difference between what God gives you graciously and what he owes you. He doesn't owe us nothing. You see, I will cling to anything I think I own. And if someone violates my stuff, my car, my house, I react in danger. How dare you do that to my house, to me, or to my car? And that is the attitude of the world. But God is telling us this morning, 
says, have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. That though he was God, that he did not grasp onto that. But he emptied himself. He laid aside all of his rights. The right to possession. The right to be honored. The right to have a good husband. The right to have good children. The right to be married. We have rights. And we have rights. Can we lay those like Jesus? Lay those rights aside. And hand them over to God. The right to revenge. When we are offended. Oh, many are offended here. Many. And we seek vengeance. I'm going to take vengeance. But can you give that right unto the Father? Because, you know why? Because he will deal with that person much, much more than you think you could. Can you forgive that person? Can you hand over that right unto your Heavenly Father? Shall we pray? If you are in here this morning and you are going through stuff, I mean real stuff, you don't find any way out. There is no way out. Perhaps you've come to the end of yourself. Your strength has failed you. Your weaknesses have failed you. The tricks in your toolbox, they have failed you. And you say, Lord, I want to give up. I want to give it back to you. I want to pray with you. Can you come out?